All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We ask that you will um, just, yes, Lord, just speak to us. We need your presence, Father. We pray, Lord, that every ear will hear what you are saying, Holy Spirit, and what I believe you have given for today, Lord, we ask that you will now take over and just speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and Lord, I just pray that everyone will receive what it is you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just get into it. Let's go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 through 13, and also um, John chapter 5, verses 36 through 39. Uh, Di has been preaching the uh, series Taking Back Pentecost, and she will continue that when she gets back. So um, it's been really incredible if you haven't heard all of them, or if you have, or if you've heard none of them. Uh, they're all up on the podcast now, so you can check them out. Uh, and it's really, really been awesome. But something she said last week, which is kind of what I want to stay with and stay in the vein of uh, just what she was talking about, which is Exodus and how Moses wanted to know God and uh, how personal it is for God to know us. So uh, we'll just start there. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, 12 through 13, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And John chapter 5, verse 36 through 39, this is Jesus talking here. He says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father have, has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor do his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And actually brought these two different passages of scriptures together, just because, number one, you hear the language is really personal. It's really intimate. It's, it's about relationship. Um, from Moses' point of view, he wants to know God. And when Jesus is talking, he's telling these leaders, you search the scripture and you do it for eternal life. So you're doing it to have eternity, but yet you're not coming to me because I am the one that gives you eternal life. So it's simple today. I'm just going to talk about it being personal with Jesus because it is. And I think even as the church now, you know, and what we call the church and how we see the church, it's, it's been misconstrued uh, a little bit. 
It's been, um, yeah, it's, it's in a place now where it looks, it's, it's about, you know, our vision. It's about an image. It's about what we can put together structurally or even systematically and how church should be seen from the outside looking in where we've kind of lost the whole point of coming together and worship because the one we worship is Jesus. The one who we look to is Jesus. And that's kind of, it's gotten lost in translation a little bit. I think when we see people who we don't expect to walk away from God, we see people who have been in the church for so long and then all of a sudden give up their faith is is almost like, well, what are we really doing? What is it really about? Are we engaging just our brains? You know, is it more intellectual? Is it more knowledge-based or are we engaging our heart? When you really think about a relationship and your heart is involved, it's, it's not only difficult to walk away, it's really impossible because you don't walk away from where your heart is. You know, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And, and having relationship with people and spouses would know this, you know, when, you, when your love and when your heart is in it, no matter what's happening, the, one, the last thing you want to do is just turn your back and, and walk away. Um, and I think with our churches now, we've become so, so invested in a numerical growth that when we see a church that is successful, we base it off of how many numbers there are there. We don't actually base it off of the maturity of the people that are actually inside of the church. And actually, the, to, to be honest, we look at church and instead of looking at you know us being the church, which is the biblical way to see it, we look at buildings, we look at edifices, we look at you know structures and that's actually just a place of worship where we go, where we come to, where we gather, where we worship God, just as how we've done now. But the church is us. The church is the body of Christ. So in thinking of that, where have we lost it? Have we, have we forgotten that this is actually a personal journey? This is, Jesus wants to be personal with us, you know? That's what really matters. I I dare to even ask a question when we see a lot of people, and we'll see more because the scripture says it, but when we see people leaving, the question really is about, have we ever really known who Jesus really is? Have we really had an encounter? And if we have, where did we forget? Um... Yeah, so number one, I mean, look, you know, when we look at vision, and I get it, you know, we, we've seen a lot of churches really magnify a vision and really push a vision. And all of these different organizations that we call our church, and, and, and it's really our leaders, it's, it's us, it's We've, we've actually done a disservice to the people that we're leading because we've made it about our personal visions. We've made it about what we can see 
for our church and where we're going. Whereas when we look in the scripture, it's really simple for the church. It's really simple for what Jesus said. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I think, you know, in actuality, it doesn't really get more simple of a vision than that. If we stick to that and we understand what a vision really looks like, that's it. That, that is it. We don't have to go beyond that. We can stay right with that and know this is what Jesus said. All we have to do is give his word. When we read Acts, we see how Jesus added to the church. I have yet to see no matter how many churches are out there and great numbers, small numbers, it doesn't matter. But when we see what Peter did and when he spoke out of the power of the Holy Spirit, it was over 5,000 that was added to the church right then and there. And I think in even my calculation, we have yet to see something of that nature when soon as someone preaches a sermon, next thing you know, it's over 5,000 people there. But Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. All he did was preach the gospel. All he did was say, Jesus died, and then all you have to do is repent. All he does when we are led by him is touch the hearts of everyone that is there. And the first thing that happens is, what can we do? What must we do to be saved? Because it's personal with God. So I know where this whole thought of vision comes from. When we see even our organizations and our businesses, businesses need a vision because a business is there for profit. You have to profit if you're in business. Yes, a good business is one that in a good organization, in a good structure of what business looks like is one that does take care of their employees because if you have low turnover, you have a good setup, which is, which is awesome. But when you look at the purpose of a business, it is there to profit. However, when you look at the church, the church can't be seen as a business because it's a body. And with a body, you don't have the luxury of firing people. You don't have the luxury of even hiring people. The whole purpose of a body is to nurture it. You have to nourish the body. Whoever comes, Jesus says, come as you are. And I know, I get it. We see people, we interact with people, and sometimes, you know, it can be frustrating with some people because you want them to get it. And some people don't get it. Some people get it really quickly. And, you know, we have friction in the body. but. That doesn't give us the right to say, okay, you can't be here or you can be here because there's no respect of persons in the body. We're all in the body of Christ. We learn how to work with one another. We learn how to live with one another. It's just like any family. You will find some type of dysfunction in a family. It's going to happen. Someone's going to do something you don't like. But as my brother and as my sister, yes, I may be upset with you. Yes, I may be frustrated with you. I may even turn around and go the other way. But when I come back, you're going to be here. Because guess what? Family is stronger than what a business or what a profit or what it looks like to say, uh, you're not doing your part, so you're fired. You, you, we don't have that luxury. We don't even want that luxury. What we want is, yeah, we bring our differences together because we're in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? The church is a body. 
So the vision that he's given us is this. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Even when it comes to a mission statement, I think a mission statement is pretty clear with Jesus too. He said, go in the world and make disciples. That's the mission. Go do it. You've been a disciple. Now go and make disciples. So a vision for, for, for the church is, is pretty clear. And just like, you know, things like image, you know, the image has become such a tool that the enemy has been using to deceive us because we've been so stuck on what an image looks like and how we portray what it is that we want people to see instead of letting God deal with the heart. Matthew chapter 15, I think is pretty clear. I don't really want to read the whole thing, but it talks about when the Pharisees are coming to God and actually asking him, why do you, and this is what they asked, why do your disciples break the traditions, the traditions of the elders? Something so small, they don't wash their hands before they eat. Really? They don't wash their hands before, but this is a big thing, especially then. They don't, they're not sticking with the tradition that their fathers has, has set. They're not washing their hands before they eat. And what's Jesus' response? He says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. That's personal. That's relational. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be, is to be put to death. That's, that's the command of God. But you say that if anyone declares that what you have, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. It's powerful. And then Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So from the outside looking in, yes, the image is there. It looks perfect. They have everything together. But inwardly, they're empty. And as the church, even as our leaders, we, we tend to want everything to look great, but we're doing the people were leading a disservice because we don't realize how empty our people actually are. We don't realize what our people are going through. We don't realize what people are dealing with. It's amazing. You can, you can look great on the outside, but on the inside, it's completely hopeless. And Jesus has been the entire time wanting to make the relationship with us so personal that no matter how the outside looks, the inside is so fulfilling. The inside is so full of joy. The inside is so full of peace. 
It's peace beyond understanding. It's, it's joy that cannot be expressed. It's the things that we actually really need because life can be this way and then life can come this way. But what's holding us together is the relationship we have with Christ. If we display that, then people forget about the external. People forget about the image because they want what's on the inside. It's personal. It has to be personal. We were all created in the image of God. But it is what Romans says 1 and 16. It is the gospel of God. It is the gospel of God that brings, that is the power that brings salvation. So it's actually about the internal. It is about the heart being completely taken over by the Holy Spirit, being completely given to Christ. So although we're created in the image of God, unless we understand that is not even the image we worship, but it is the Son of God who is the expressed image of God. So when we worship, we worship a person. We worship Jesus because the truth is a person. It's not an entity. It's not a figment of our imagination. You know, even, even when we say image, that can be very subjective because my view of an image might be different from your view of an image. But when we bring that and bring it all the way down to what Colossians says, the son who is the expressed image of God, that is who we worship. It is so personal. And like me, if you've been in the church for your entire life, you know, fourth, fifth generation, you, you tend to want to continue to really know more about God. But in knowing more about God, it all has to come through what God has set up. And what he set up was Jesus coming and actually dying on the cross for us. So even when we go back to the scripture in John, Jesus is actually challenging the Jewish leaders because he says, you search the scriptures diligently and you're doing it for a reason. You're doing it because you want eternal life. Now you have to remember, you have to take yourself back in that day because the New Testament was not written. So when Jesus is saying you are looking at the writings of the law because they had the writings then because Moses wrote them but they didn't have the New Testament. So they have a person who is Jesus coming to them and saying, but you won't believe my words. So just imagine not having the New Testament and here comes this man that completely blows their whole thought process and what it looks like and what they thought would be the Messiah. They thought someone who was a king coming in a kingly robe and a, and a crown and all of these you know, men may be coming behind them. I don't know, something that would appease or something that would satisfy their thinking. It didn't happen that way. This was a Galilean. This was someone that was born in an inn. This was someone that was known to come from a town of Bethlehem that no one considered would be anything worth looking at when it came to someone who had a voice, let alone who was known to be the Messiah. So Jesus is, is challenging them and saying, you're reading the writings that Moses wrote, but you don't understand I was here before Moses 
You don't get the fact that Moses is actually talking about me. If you want eternal life, you have to turn to me to get it. Because I'm here to make it personal for everybody. I'm here to give my life for everybody. So this is what it takes. This is what it looks like. Jesus said he and the Father are one. You can't receive eternal life without him. So what did Jesus do? He fulfilled the writings that were written about him on the cross. So it is the writings that has to support the word that Jesus spoke, which is how we see power. We have to do and we have to come from the place, just as Paul says in Romans, I believe, he says the veil is lifted now because now I can understand the purpose of the Old Testament because Jesus, since he has died, has revealed what the Old Testament was actually going to, what it actually meant. It was all pointing to what was going to happen. And that was someone who was coming from where he was, which was heaven, to come into a dark world, to come into a place, to be one of us, because that's how personal it had to become. And to give his life for us, because he loved us that much. See, there's no point in preaching anything other than the cross. Because what, what, what are we really after? I, it's not about trying to get an emotional high out of us because we have to live this life. We have to have something in here to get us through where we're going. So if everyone left today saying, oh my gosh, that word was awesome, and then two days later you're down back in the dumps and you don't really know how to get out, well, maybe the word wasn't really so awesome. Because we have to give you Jesus. The Pharisees, they knew how to speak the language. When you're studying the scriptures, especially as a Pharisee, that's what they studied from a certain age all the way up into their adult years. They knew verbatim the law of Moses. They knew how to speak the language because they searched the scriptures. But even when we come to our today now, we know how to speak Christianese. We know how to say the right things. We know how to mention and talk the language. But do we actually know how to intercede for someone on someone's behalf when they're going through a dark time? Do we know how to come to someone's aid because we desperately want to see them know Jesus and have an encounter with Jesus just as we had? Do we know how to reach out and say, I'm praying for you and actually really praying for them? Do we know how to be a vessel so when someone comes with problems, we know where to point them, we know where to direct them? It's got to be more than just giving words and studying and speaking religious languages and saying it in a way that it is so Christianese, it goes above people's heads, and it is not personal enough to where people say, I want what you have. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, verses 21 through 25, talks about how Jesus said that he had to go through Jerusalem to suffer many things. And who did he have to suffer from? It was the hands of the elders, 
It was the chief priest and it was the teachers of the law. It was everyone that represented what the church looked like. It's really interesting. It wasn't the people who were the publicans, who were the sinners, who were the world. It wasn't them. It was the ones that were supposed to represent where people could come to and be rescued. These were the people that were causing Jesus to suffer. These were the people that would kill him. It's amazing. And of course, when he said this, Peter said, no, you will not die. And Jesus rebuked him and said, Satan, get behind me because you do not say the things that concern God. You say the things that concern man. And what's really incredible is that Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, our concerns speak to our own convenience. But the, the, the concerns of Jesus, the concerns of our Father speaks to purpose. It speaks to what he is trying to accomplish because he wants relationship with us. And relationship is, is really incredible, especially in, you know, if you're in any type of relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether you're married, you understand that relationship takes compromise. And it takes compromise on both ends for the relationship to work. It's nothing different when we look at Jesus. Jesus had to actually compromise his righteousness so he could take on our sin. He gave up his righteousness, his right standing with God. He took on sin so that therefore we would compromise our sin, which we were born into, so that we could take on his righteousness. It's pretty incredible. It's a beautiful exchange. It's awesome. That's why we do communion every single week. It reminds us what Jesus did and what it allowed us to be able to experience in him. So byproduct of righteousness are things like, I wrote a few things down, like humility, like grace, selflessness, truth, submission. These are byproducts of what righteousness looks like. When you're walking in righteousness, this is what it shows. And what we have given up, what we have to continue to give up, is what it looks like when you see the byproducts of sin, like pride, like judgment, like selfishness, like deception, rebellion. All these things that stir up our flesh are the very things that we have to die to because we're in relationship with someone who wanted to be personal with us. And Paul gets it. He says it in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is I that no longer lives, but it is Christ that lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He died for us because it's personal to him. And that's how he lives in us. The reason we die to our flesh because it's personal to us, which is how we live in him. I want the musos to come back up because it's not much more to go into, but I do want to leave. I want to leave you with a couple things. Matthew chapter 16, 
Jesus asked a question to the disciples. He asked them, who do the people say that I am? Who? Who do they say that I am? And they answered. They said, you know, some say you're Isaiah the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're even Jeremiah. But then he made it even more personal. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And I think for us, Jesus is always asking the same question. Who do you say that I am? Do we think that Jesus is a great motivational speaker? A lot of people say, well, Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet. He was beautiful. He, he loved people. You know, he was, he was awesome in what he did. He came and gave to the poor. He healed people. He did miracles. Is Jesus inspirational? Is Jesus now at this point the trendsetter, the one that, you know, is, is cutting edge? Have we made the image of Jesus uh, this, you know, uh, trend, trendy individual that people are looking at now because it's cool to want to be like him? Or have we gone past that point to where it's not really cool to want to be like them? It's not really popular. It's not really good. It's impolitical. It's impolitically correct. Are Jesus, is Jesus any of these things? Is he none of these things? The real question is, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Because Peter didn't go through all of the things of saying he's this, he's that. Yeah, maybe he is a prophet. Maybe he is. He said, you are the Messiah. Yes, you've healed. Yes, you've prophesied. Yes, you've, you've, you've said this. You've said that. You are king. But you, by far, the most important thing are the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. You are the reason that we can have eternal life and be back in the place where God has destined and has designed and has created for us to be. For us to be in righteousness and right standing with him. You are the reason. You are the Savior. The mystery is made known, guys. The mystery that Paul discovered that was hidden for ages is now made known, it is Christ in us. He is the hope of glory. You know, I look at how we think of, even when it comes to miracles, we wanna see more miracles. And yes, of course we wanna see more miracles. But what is actually the greatest miracle? Is it healing? Jesus healed people, they still died. Everyone doesn't always get healed. Is it raising people from the dead? That's pretty incredible. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone raised from the dead, but we can read about it. We can see that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus still died. Is it hearing 
healing the deaf? Is it healing the blind? All these things are awesome. But even now we have medical care and we have things that can even improve hearing, that it can even bring sight to some people that are blind. The miracles that we see now are amazing, but what is the greatest miracle? It has to be the gospel because that is what is the power of God that brings salvation. And no matter if I'm healed, if I'm raised from the dead, you can take that from me because I have to die. If I'm healed and I can hear, well then some other people can't hear and some other people can't see and what if I lose my sight? There's all these what ifs, but if I'm given salvation, no one can take it from me. No one can actually come and grab it because I've been saved. I've been given salvation by Jesus. I now have eternal life. So no matter what happens in life, that is the one thing that no one can touch. No one can get it. No one can take it. It's that personal. Jesus made it that personal that when he came and he came into my heart, there is no one that can get him out. So if I do die, guess what? I'm with him. If I'm never healed, guess what? I'm going with him. It's the greatest miracle because it's so personal. Whew, it's so personal. I want you to hear these words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 24. I want you to recognize how serious it is. And if everyone can stand, that would be great. Jesus says to his disciples, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So just because you call him Lord doesn't mean you know him. Just because you recognize his position, it doesn't mean you know him. He says, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. Did we not do this? But what will Jesus' response be? He said, I will tell them plainly, depart from me. Why? Because you didn't prophesy accurately. No. Because you really didn't heal. No, we did. No, it's documented. It's verified. We did. Well, you didn't cast out devils like you should have. No, but these demons did leave. I was free. No, he won't say that. He will say, depart from me because I never knew you. I didn't know you. You used my name. My name has all power. It has all authority. So that's great. But just like I told the disciples when they walked in my authority, don't be so happy that demons leave. They have to. Be excited that your name is written in the book of life because you know me. Because after all of this is done, what matters is the personal relationship. That's what matters. So I am sorry on behalf 
of church leadership that has put the entity of what we've called Jesus on display in a way that we look at numbers and we look at edifices and we look at structures and think Jesus is there. That is not who Jesus is. Jesus has to be here. And we have to know him. So as we sing this song, whichever song you do, Joe, as we sing this song, I want us to think about that question. Who do you say that I am? And go back to the question that I asked in the beginning. Have we forgotten? Do we really know him? It's okay to ask these questions. We better ask them now. Because every one of us belong to Jesus. But we have to make that choice and say, God, I don't know what all of this looks like. I, I, I don't want to be so involved in what I think you've been in. I, I'm not trying to be caught up in any traditional system. I want it to be you and me. And I'm just going to ask you who you are. And I want an encounter with you. And that's it. So just think about that as we sing.